Welcome to Islington Mill and a brand new monthly podcast series from the people who brought you Islington Mill is Queer. My name is Niall, aka The Nihilist, and I will be your host for the next hour. Islington Mill is one of the UK's most beloved arts institutions, a community-focused and artist-led space in Greater Manchester Salford that over the last 20 years has variously been a gallery, a live music venue, a nightclub, a studio complex, a bed and breakfast, an office furniture supply store, and of course, originally, a Victorian cotton mill. Well known in the north of England and beyond for its artistic residencies, gallery shows, screenings, and live music and community-based events, the last few years have seen some significant changes to Islington Mill, both physically and in its remit. Originally a ramshackle DIY space, in the last few years Islington Mill has benefited from an injection of European arts funding to help renovate the building itself and to expand the organisation's curatorial scope. Always a space where different communities could come together to collaborate. Islington Mill is currently entering into a new phase of its existence and I and many other people are very keen to find out what exactly that future holds. After a successful run of 10 episodes of Islington Mill is Queer, we have decided to open up the remit of an Islington Mill-based monthly podcast to cover more areas than just queerness and sexuality, though bear in mind that these topics are always going to be integral to the mill and its surrounding culture. But there is a lot more that's also worthy of discussion when it comes to the place and the people who live and work here. From art and communication, politics, philosophy, regeneration, sexuality, psychology, all the way to the topic of today's show, which is community. For the inaugural edition of Islington Mill and, I sat down with Bill Campbell, the man who founded and co-owns Islington Mill, to talk about the space, its future, and the community surrounding that future. For this inaugural edition, I asked Bill to supply the theme for today's show, and he was kind enough to share with me details of the project that he is currently embarking on, which sets out his vision for the future of Islington Mill. So, welcome again to episode number one of Islington Mill and, where I, the Nihilist, speak to Islington Mill's own Bill Campbell about modelling queer utopias. Bill Campbell, welcome to episode one of Islington Mill and, our new Islington Mill podcast. These podcasts are going to be a bit different from the Islington Mill is Queer podcast by the fact that they're going to be themed, it seems. Bill, would you tell us what the theme you have chosen for our first Islington Mill and podcast is? Yeah, hi Niall. Hi Bill. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, a project that I'm about to embark on called Modelling Queer Utopias. Modelling queer utopias. Okay, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, just to look at the title, modelling is like trying them out, Mm -hmm. putting them on for size, demonstrating, perhaps, 
utopias is maybe like looking at ideal ways of living and being and I deliberately put the S on the end so it's okay. not, because sometimes people can perceive utopia as a fixed idea of some unrealistic perfect way of living and I don't mean it in that sense I mean like exploring how we could live better mm-hmm. how we could move towards that okay as a way of how I'd like to lead my life sure do you feel that the term itself utopia is it's it's loaded mm-hmm. I think do you yeah. think would you agree with that uh, I, I would and um, you know other people have mentioned that um, and this is essentially just a working title really it may change because this is a year-long project that I'm about to embark on exploring okay. that so it might be that another word comes mm-hmm. up that's more appropriate okay um, so it's not a fixed thing but mm-hmm. it is kind of that idea of you know, exploring, you know, the queer element is, I, you know, for me, I identify as queer. Mm-hmm. For me, what that means is, you know, being willing and ready and able to explore other ways of doing things that aren't necessarily the subscribed normative societal ways. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I could be described as a gay man, but I prefer queer because there's certain other deviations from what that might be perceived at that I feel like I... Mm-hmm. I'm interested in move towards would rather would rather inhabit mm-hmm. um, so putting all of that together it's like how as queer people can we explore a way of life we'd like to that is more comfortable to us safer to us mm-hmm. um, appropriate perhaps perhaps not appropriate mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> learn from that and, and, and move towards something that um, is more satisfying mm-hmm. in some way and try stuff out for size okay Right. For context, then, for the listeners, um, you are the owner and founder of Islington Mill. Yes. And actually, if people want to know a more detailed history of how that came to be, it's in one of the episodes of Islington Mill is Queer. You give a very thorough run through of how you came to find Islington Mill and how you came to buy it Mm. and start the co... How would you describe it? Co-op? cooperative community collective i mean technically we're a community interest company that manages a building but we like to try and be as kind of non-hierarchical and as cooperative Uh as possible but you know that's not always there's a lot more we could do with that so i wouldn't want to call it a cooperative yet okay so how does um how does your vision or your possible ideas for a queer utopia fit with specifically Islington Mill? Well, you know, I won't go over the history as you mentioned mm-hmm. in detail, but some elements of the history was like, you know, I grew up in North Manchester as a bullied queer person mm-hmm. and wanted, you know, was sent out into the world or told I had to go out into the world and sustain myself and be a person. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know where I fitted in. Mm-hmm. So I was very intrigued by, this is the mid-80s, I was very intrigued by Michael Clark and Lee Bowery and reading, you know, ID magazine and it seemed to present an idea of queer life that looked very appealing in Clubland, mm-hmm. uh, where things were kind of challenged and I thought a route to that might be through fashion design. Mm-hmm. So off I trotted to do fashion and came out totally unemployable, or feeling that way, mm-hmm. and came back to Manchester and thought, well, how am I going to sustain myself in this way that fits me when I don't feel like I fit. Yeah. Um, so Islington Mill just appeared as a way to potentially do that. And that's what I committed to. And over the subsequent 20 years, from the late 90s to now, I've been 
exploring and adding things to the mix of the mill. So we have studios, so I always wanted to be in community. Mm-hmm. We're in artist space, I always wanted to be creative. Um, you know things around that that we need in terms of an ecology to make those things work we set up a club so we brought that kind of clubbing club kid element that I'd been interested in into it but I got waylaid from my own practice so I stopped doing fashion because I was writing business plans and funding bids and (laughs) building bits of building so we've now getting to a point 20 years later where we raise some money a load of work's been done on the building, the scaffolding's up currently, mm. and we're about to convert the top floor of the building that's never been used mm-hmm. um, into a, a residency space, an artist's residency space. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that in this first year through this project, I can kind of run that as a collaborative project led around this theme of modeling queer utopias where we can develop conversations, club nights, film screenings. Uh, yoga classes whatever it might be mm. to explore you know this theme in its widest widest sense so for me it might be about finally getting to why I bought Islington Mill okay because I didn't buy it to be a art centre manager mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't buy it to be a property developer you know I didn't buy it to you know I bought it to be a queer artist mm-hmm. type person living in amongst people I would ask I could do this but I want I would like this to come from you mm-hmm. um, so Islington Mill used to have a music venue here yeah so I think up until what was it 2017 that mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. up until 2017 um, quite a lot of people from the Manchester Salford area quite a good idea of what Islington Mill is because they've been here to gigs and club nights etc it's now we're in 2022 that was five years ago that that ended would you tell the listeners perhaps how Islington Mill has changed in those interim five years where they might not have been to this space? Hmm. Um, well, I guess kind of when we set up the venue, it came out of a very DIY spirit of just having parties. Mm-hmm. So it just came as you know, private, mm-hmm. in effect, parties. It's just... Just interject to say that the, all this history is covered in the Islington Mill is Queer podcast, so yeah. if people want to know it in detail, they can go back and find out. Yeah, and we gradually legitimised ourselves. We got a licence and we became a formal thing. But within that, we always wanted to make sure when we got a licence, for example, we had a 24-hour licence mm-hmm. because we were never very good at ending a night. <laughs> we, were never, we never knew when to stop. Mm. And maybe that's part of the freedom that is might be part of queer utopia okay and you know again I was there wanting to be at the party Mm. not run the event Mm -hmm. Uh, so I never had an ambition to be a promoter yeah uh, or a performer I just wanted to be in the environment Um, yeah that came to an end in 2015 16 17 partly because while fundraising we'd handed the venue over to Emma and Vez Mm -hmm. uh, Emma's also contributed to this podcast yes she has um So there's more details of Emma's amazing contributions there. Um, But that was always on a two-year residency to see how they felt Mm -hmm. running a venue, like the whole thing, not Mm -hmm. just being a promoter. Um, And we were also fundraising where we knew we were going to do this build and that it probably wouldn't be a good idea to have 200 off-their-faces people running around a building site. And we thought it was going to happen in 2018, 2019, Mm -hmm. 2020. Mm -hmm. And then 
for various reasons too boring to go into that didn't happen and then covid and so that's kind of why what looked like it was going to be a two or three year hiatus has become yeah. a five year hiatus could you tell us where we're at now with those developments well scaffolding up on the building mm-hmm. there's netting that says queer all over it <laughs> yeah it's the most visual thing i think the people who can see the building can yeah see and I think kind of that's there. I, I literally put that on there in the weekend before the netting was going to go up there because I wanted the local community to know more about who we are and what was being built. Because I think when people see scaffolding go up on an old mill building, they assume it's going to be flats. Yeah, yeah, very true. So we put, you know, building artist spaces and community resources, queer, DIY, stuff all over the building to kind of reassure and hopefully inspire mm-hmm. uh, what's coming next. Mm. Um that went up a year ago. It's due to come down in the next month or two. Mm. Um, I've been up there this week. The walls have started to go in. It's still very raw, but beginning to see what that space will actually look like. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's due to finish in June, July. Mm-hmm. So we'll get a, we'll be handed over a white box, yeah, probably. Um, and the year is about transforming that from a white box like literally physically the environment okay you know painting walls putting art there making art arranging sofas recovering sofas with art made mm-hmm. textiles that may or may not have something to say about queer utopia or just stimulating stuff i mm-hmm. don't know and start to do events start to bring like almost go back to our roots just do some house parties we're mm-hmm. not setting up a club because okay. it's a residency space yes but it does it has been designed to have the potential to have a 200 person event in there okay but it will be people's home yeah so how are those people going to live okay. in and around each other how do people come how do people go mm-hmm. what do people do while they're there you know how do we kind of maintain that it's a community hub things that you know people beyond those people that live there how they can come in and out mm-hmm. what they can experience while there mm. and hopefully throw some amazing parties so when you say that this is the start of a project and you're talking about the first 12 months mm. that will start when the fifth floor is like finished and open so it'll start when we get the keys which we think yeah. june july mm-hmm. and i'm going to lead this first year we we grappled with that and we can talk about that grappling a bit but that come out of like well I've got the 20 years of experience and this vision mm-hmm. and you know partly from a selfish artist point of view it's like having got this far I want to fucking enjoy it yeah. for a bit yeah sure <laughs> I, I feel you, kind of justified in that yeah if you've done the lion's share of the work you're you're entitled to that yeah and it is about inviting other people to be involved and setting up how how other people can be involved which can then change mm. but it's just putting the groundwork and that infrastructure so we've got we'll have a physical infrastructure but what's the programming infrastructure what's you know how do you run a night for 200 people in there without pissing everybody off and trashing the place so can you go through some of that with me now yeah the the what what's the uh, yeah how it will run like what you're envisaging to put in place in those first 12 months Mm. what you would like to see from that space and also how you think you can manage getting to that. Okay, well, we kind of identified what we're calling five broad brush elements Mm -hmm. of what might be ways of living or or things to think about when living as individuals and as informal groups. Mm -hmm. They are food, 
because we have to eat every day. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, that could also be, you know, where food comes from, or cooking foods, growing foods, okay. hosting dinners or not, or, you know, eating alone. It could be any kind of art type experiment in that. Mm. When I deconstructed it, I realised I personally have quite a lot of anxiety about food. Mm. We've done potluck dinners here at the mill yes. often. Some people come, some people don't, some people love it. I find them quite difficult. I get nervous about it. Can I cook the appropriate amount? Is it going to be tasty? Am yeah. I eating too much, too little? Yeah. I have a whole, you know, when I really deconstruct, of course I, I, I tend to be able to go. I don't have a nervous breakdown, mm -hmm. but I find it really difficult on a kind of micro anxiety level. So when I was drinking, I'd go to those and find that I would drink loads. Yeah. But as we've also discussed in other podcasts, I'm, I now no longer yeah. um, drink. So I'm looking, actively looking at how to make those situations where there's potential bits of anxiety that aren't necessarily direct triggers, but are just not helpful. Yeah, yeah. What can we do collectively to explore that? Yeah, okay. And food is fundamental. We do need it most days. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Sleep is also fundamental. <laughs> yeah. We call it sleep, but that could be worth like work-life balance. It could be rest. It could be right. meditation. Yeah. It could be how to organize your day. It could be anything that allows you to be productive and not productive. For want of a better word, wellness. Wellness. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it starts to come into that area. Mm. But us as artists are not often we're pushed and pulled and we've got a job and we've got you know mm. creative exploration and we've yeah. got collaborators that are really stimulating and also really annoying yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like do we get more annoyed if we've not slept well yeah yeah so you know can we manage the creative hedonistic life that we might want part of the time mm -hmm. and as an addict how can i do that and i noticed now i'm an addict that i can stay up now I'm an acknowledged addict and in uh, sobriety that I can stay up, but I get as much of a hangover from being tired. Yeah. Just from having stayed up till five in the morning. Right, okay. So it's like, God, I never noticed that it might have just been sleep deprivation rather than all yeah. this other stuff I'd consumed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, this is led by me to some extent because I've learned a lot through that recovery process, mm -hmm. but it's also acknowledging what an artist-led ecology can be like mm -hmm. and to just you know you know yeah let's look at wellness but from yeah. the queer and artist point of view and translate that into things that work on a day-to-day -day basis one of the interesting things for me thinking about that what you've just been talking about is the transition i think for a lot of artists whereby especially if you're like not necessarily a quote-unquote trained artist or you've not been for a third level education training mm. in your particular discipline like myself with music mm. um is like you have a job to pay the bills and then you have your interest yeah. which is what you are passionate about and the reason you are paying bills to maintain your your ability to follow your passion mm. but then when those two things become integrated and if you're lucky enough to be able to actually have a job that is your passion is suddenly you find yourself with like spare time and free time and usually say 10 years ago I would have been using my free time to follow my artistic passions and either write or make music or do something that was in some way feeding those passions but once you come to a point where thankfully your passions are beginning to pay the bills that you mm. used to have to get jobs to pay how do you restructure your life and feel because 
and and feel not feel a sense of guilt for having free time mm. and self care for want of a better word for wellness yeah. time because we do spend so much of our time as artists in what is a already a very difficult economy but trying to make your 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 passions become what is actually providing your living mm. for you so i think that's quite an interesting topic actually for artists to acknowledge especially artists who may have to have a nine to five or some kind of mainstream job that isn't their passion to fund their passion mm. is how to get a correct life balance because when you're working a job and you are a passionate artist you tend to just spend all your spare time on your art mm. and if you don't do that this is like residual feeling of guilt yeah which isn't real i don't think like i don't think that guilt is a real thing anyway i think that's something that's imposing us from outside mm -hmm. but that's very interesting what you were saying about like sleep stroke wellness stroke self-care mm. i think that's quite important for artists as well yeah, I think it is because we are working with very tight resources, whether that's mm -hmm. space, whether that's time, mm -hmm. and of course money. Mm -hmm. And you know, and in this country, we don't have access to you know therapies and stuff like that. So I have had the privilege of being able to get good therapy that's helped me through my recovery. Mm -hmm. So part of this is kind of placing some of what I've learned into a, a space and seeing what helps other people mm -hmm. as just part of the infrastructure, just like having a building with a fixed roof mm -hmm. that we don't, you know, that functions, you know, get some of those basics right. Yeah. So that those that are in it can live as well as possible mm -hmm. and do as much as they want to mm -hmm. guilt free mm -hmm. and yeah. do nothing if they don't want to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause doing nothing is important. Yeah. Um, it also reminded me, like, you know, I'll probably end up with loads of these things that I've picked up along the way, but what you were describing there about how, uh, things you're passionate about, things you're paid for, I came across a Japanese concept called Ikigai, which sometimes if you Google it, appears as like a four-way Venn diagram, four circles all interlocked. Okay. And I'm not going to remember it all, but one is like, um, you know, what you're paid for, what you're passionate about, uh, what the world needs, and what you're good at, mm -hmm. maybe. And that when they all intersect, the Japanese call that ikigai, mm -hmm. like kind of, I don't think it has a direct translation, but it's kind of mm -hmm. meaning of life or something mm -hmm. like that. It's like, if you can get that balance of mm. being paid for what you're passionate about and the yeah. world enjoys it and you're good at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a that's sweet That's the spot. dream that's that all dream. artists strive for. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm, and, that's yeah. interesting. What's it called? Ikai, I'm probably saying it wrong. Ikigai, I think it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. I-K- I-G-A-I. Okay, cool. <laughs> I can put a note to that in uh, show notes or a link to something that describes that because that's very interesting. Moving on then, yeah. we've had food, food sleep, sleep, stroke, self-care. Um, so yeah, the third one, I mean, they're not in any order, but uh, sex. Okay. But that's broad headline terms. Some people are uncomfortable with that term. We might mean connection, identity, gender... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, connection. I think is the, you know, yeah. the important one for me, because again, as an addict, um, someone <laughs> I should have the reference point. The TED talk about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety; it's connection. In that, often addicts are seeking out a form of connection and don't know how to reach it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And I yeah. noticed that when I, when I first heard that, I thought I'm surrounded by people in this building 
and I love them all and it's great, but there's something. And so, you know, spent a lot of time and talking about shame and we've had done a mm-hmm. conversation yeah, about that in the past yeah. as well. But it's like, what's this connection thing? And I think it's like kind of a, a sense of safety, a sense of meaningful connections so that could be intimacy and, like, you know, how we feel like we belong. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the signifiers that tell us that? Mm-hmm. What would we like more of that we might not feel able to ask for? Mm-hmm. And then we turn to drink or drugs or other things in order to kind of, one, quiet that anxiety mm-hmm. of like, I'm feeling quite unloved. And sometimes then picking up the Dutch courage yeah. <laughs> to have more intimate hugs with your mates. Well, again, mm-hmm. how can you do that, mm-hmm. you know, with consent and all those appropriatenesses and without all the trappings and, yeah. and work on that actively okay. and understand what that means for different people because everyone will have a different sense mm-hmm. and I really noticed it in terms of addiction because when I've I, I've successfully dealt with alcohol but I've slipped back into smoking and I noticed exactly when that happened and it's when there was a conflict and as a result of that conflict I didn't feel like I could sm- even smile or relate to the two people that were having the main conflict because I felt I might be seen as taking sides in this kind yeah. of cloud, and therefore I wasn't able to connect. Yeah. And my instinct was to run away. Yeah. And I'd had this pattern as I was in active addiction that I'd run away, get on the train, and I'd buy booze. I ran away, bought tobacco, mm. went home, and was back in my pattern. And it's like, ah, that's connection. Mm. You notice it when you don't have it, or it's switched off from you because there's a conflict going on that says, mm-hmm. don't make, don't have connection now. Mm-hmm it's dangerous to have connection suddenly I felt like I began to understand that connection is not just being around people Mm -hmm. but meaningful connection is where you feel trust safety Mm -hmm. therefore perhaps ability to have intimacy and whether that's just deep conversation or Mm -hmm. whether that's touch or sex Mm -hmm. or just ability to be oneself in front of other people like how you choose to dress you Mm -hmm. might censor in other areas so it's where you can be uncensored yeah Cool. to me mm-hmm. so again if, you, if we're going to live in community having the ability to express our desires and needs and to not feel shame about them and to present our identities our sexuality our needs for connection openly is something I'd like to explore because I think it could be mm-hmm. I think in the queer community in the yeah. gay community we can have issues around that yes I think we have the benefit of being able to draw our own rules around that yeah. because our versions of those things are outside heteronormativity um, and patriarchy and cissexism and all that stuff. But at the same time, because it's so it's such uncharted territory as well, we could do with some guidance Absolutely. in that. Yeah. yeah, and some frameworks and supports to make sure no one's damaged in these delicate areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because they are delicate areas, mm-hmm. so it's quite deep stuff. Mm. Um, but it can also be quite simple stuff because mm. it can just be, you know, a basic consent. Can I hold your hand? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but connection might be as simple as that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, and I think, you know, just in terms of you know queerness I think we are willing because you say because we can invent and we have to invent to some degree our own ways of being and therefore I think we are it's progressive or has the potential to be Mm. and therefore in terms of what the world needs I do believe the world needs new ways of connecting and forming relationships and we as queers experiment with that quite 
well yeah generally mm. so you know how can we do it safely appropriately and model that mm. for other people you know i have conversations with people who are not in the queer world and i can you know see that the normativity is containing mm-hmm. them as well yes absolutely we're absolutely. all contained by the patriarchy and the absolutely toxic masculinity and all the yeah. various factors that have created this what's number four then well let me remember communication okay yeah i think crucial mm-hmm. yeah absolutely <laughs> again i don't always do it well um it can get difficult when that's to me that to me is very tied into intimacy like sex stroke intimacy stroke communication i know it definitely does deserve its own box mm. um it's its own very very important topic but to me the best sex connection intimacy all those things come from healthy communication mm. as well um Mm. Just let you spark up. Just for the listeners to know, this is a very ASMR type <laughs> podcast today because we've got a new microphone. It's very strong, so it's picking up all the little um, things that we wouldn't normally get, like sparking up a cigarette or, yeah, shuffling our feet on the floor. But um, so communication, what what falls under that bracket? Um, well, I think on a day to day basis, it would be how the people in that residency space are able to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, we around here, I don't know if you've met Rivka, Ruben. Not officially yet, actually. Uh, I'd like to get her on the podcast at some point, too. Yeah, well, Rivka mm-hmm. could explain this um, very in depth yeah. um, and tell you the roots of it all and everything. But Rivka's kind of developed, borrowing from various or the source is a sense, uh, uh, what she calls upwording. And it's exploring some of those very simple things where we, our language might often be uh, a cause of conflict, how we choose to give feedback to someone mm-hmm. or ask for what we want, Yeah. how we can do that in a way that's not going to immediately create a rise in the person receiving that information, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, might avoid conflict yeah. and enable us to meet our desires and needs and wants and how to just you know change the way we approach life as choices so you know I have to do this right now or you should do this Mm -hmm. or how we give advice you know what you should do yeah yeah (laughs) often can be like well fuck you (laughs) yeah because it has a kind of sense of belittling, a sense of someone else knows more than you and mm-hmm. I don't know what's right for you. Mm-hmm. What you could do might be this if I've got an idea, but it's mm-hmm. your choice yeah. whether you do it or not. <laughs> yeah. What works for me is mm. that kind of like reframe, you know, I know exactly what you mean. This is actually something that's come up in my own life quite mm. recently as well. It's very interesting to hear you talk about it now um, because, of course, one of the major parts of communication, especially if it's going to be in a living scenario, is like critique. Because mm. we're not, you know, we're not always going to be super happy and positive and wanting to communicate good things to each other. Sometimes we're going to have to communicate negative things to each other as well. Mm. And it's about, create. I'd imagine it must be about creating the safety within a space to know that that can be done in a kind of more loving way in the where the context of it is not ostracizing somebody from the community Mm. it's to make the community as a whole itself stronger Mm. yeah i mean that's the aim to Mm -hmm. to create resilience safety Mm -hmm. you know collaboration therefore yeah uh, 
as opposed to competition or one-upmanship, mm-hmm. you know, or control, how to create, like, you know, it's like that, um, I'm not from a theatre background, but I think in improvised theatre, it's that and, yes, rather than but. Which is why we have decided to call this podcast and. It is, yes. Because it's written on the outside of the, on the scaffolding that you mentioned earlier, mm. but also you, you might as well say this, you described it to me before the microphone was rolling, but. Well, it's that thing of like when having a conversation and someone says but, it's like, I don't care what you've said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you could do that, but I think this is better. Mm. It kind of dismisses what you've said. Yeah. Whereas if it's like, oh, and we could do this as well. Yeah. It's allowing what you've stated to be on equal terms yeah. and therefore a choice. Yeah. So, but in and of itself is a pejorative term, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because it's refuting what's come before, whereas and is more positive or more neutral, at least. Anyway. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, I think why it's a great tool for collaboration, it's because we need to be able to say, oh, and we could do this and be excited about it mm-hmm. and not feel like someone's just telling me what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because a collaboration, ideally, is about yeah. developing new things. Yeah. So it's like allowing that, oh, and we could do that, and we could do that, and we could do this, and what yeah. else could we do? What would we really love to do? But we don't have all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so let's move on to the fifth and final mm. topic. What's that? Practice, and we sometimes say playful practice. Okay. We're an artist studio building. Yeah. Many people have a practice in art, but mm-hmm. it could be a yoga practice, a meditation practice for in the wellness thing, or it could be, you know, how we practice self-care. Um, but how we go about doing things, exploring these things playfully. Okay. And how we actually get things done. So again, it could kind of cross over into work-life balance, like how we could order things in our lives, mm. in our creative lives, mm. you know, how we can make that as in flow as possible, Yeah, moving from one thing to another. Yeah, um, We'll always have kind of, you know, loopy moments where we get stuck in kind of certain ways of thinking and stuff, but how we can use play mm. or how we can explore how other people develop their artwork or their lives and learn from that to move practice forward and again to demonstrate it okay that seems like even though that's the last one Hmm. that seems like in a way kind of the biggest one because i feel like that will touch on all of the others encompass them all in a way and that's interesting because i feel like that is even though it is a factor in the first four I feel like that is something that would only really come into its own once the first four are a bit more developed or a bit more, you have ideas to put in place about the first four, then you would think about the, con. it's more like a context thing, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. like, like presumably everybody who's going to be living there is going to be an artist in some form or other. Mm. So the the context of what that is, is, I don't know, is that, is that correct or, you know, do you want to refute that? Um, well, I would refute that everyone's going to be an artist, okay. not necessarily, there could be a philosopher or an okay. academic or a yeah. whatever else, and the context would be different between an academic and an artist. Yeah. Um, but an academic's practice might be how they research, how they read, how they uh, absorb information and then how they write it up or whatever it is that they do. Yeah. Um, okay and you know practice is you know we're practicing living Mm. we do it every day Mm -hmm. just like if you were practicing the piano you might do it every day 
you know, and hope to improve, hope to kind of experiment, hope to make mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. And hope to kind of practice doing it better, mm-hmm. having learned those. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that. Yeah, that clarifies that for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Once you frame it as practice, you, I think I think maybe what I was trying to articulate there about the context thing is when you said the word playfulness, mm. which relates to everyone's practice, but it's the different practices and how to mesh them all together in a way that suits everyone who's living there. Yeah, well, it, it, we're not trying to suit everyone that's living there, but we're trying to accommodate, you know, create the conditions where whatever people's approach is can be accommodated as healthily as possible. Okay. I.e. not someone else's needs not conflicting with someone else's. And so mm-hmm. how you can communicate around that, perhaps frame it in your practice. I do need to practice the piano at some point most days when works for you. Music. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know. Stuff that can't be contained to a singular space like art. No, sorry, like art can be contained to a singular space like you draw or you paint in your room. Hmm. But music is going to leave your room and go into the other rooms because it's a waveform that travels through space. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, um, you might prefer to do that in the middle of the night. Mm. So how can that be accommodated? Mm -hmm. You know, and what can be done to make that manageable. Yeah. You know, maybe it can't be, we can't do everything, mm-hmm. but how we can at least have the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, work it out. Yeah. And it might be that doing it in the middle of the night is because that's the way your sleep pattern works naturally, mm. or it might be actually tweaking how, you know, what caffeine you drink. Yeah. Could just shift that. Yeah. And or your inspiration. Yeah, your artistic inspiration. Like I find, I get do get more inspired at night, mm. and sometimes trying to what I was saying before about like managing a kind of work life balance as an artist is sometimes a nine to five regulated office style work day doesn't really work for mm. artists, and then you can find yourself if you try to do it that much, you're just descending down a spiral of you're not actually being creative. You're just kind of constantly tweaking something that doesn't really need tweaked and is like you're missing out on the bigger picture of what is it that I'm trying to achieve mm. with this work specifically because and maybe it's because we're just trying to frame our artistic practices in this kind of nine to five office-based capitalist late capitalism mode that we live under already which we've been told is the way it should be and you know as queers one of our jobs, I think, is to question everything that we're told that this is the way it should be. Mm, yeah. Because if it is the way it should be, it will withstand. It will withstand questioning. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. So there's the five aspects mm. of modeling queer utopias. Um, is there like how forward are you along with the individual five aspects in like planning how that is going to be? put into practice yeah so the year I think is probably going to have five moments in it that if it was regular times it might not be but if it was regular it might be every two months okay so if we're in in July we might be looking at something in October something around Christmas time something in spring something in May something in July again yeah that would give us five kind of windows and Within those, we'd have a, we're calling them design sprints, programmed bits. So we'll have 10 days where 
people will converge mm -hmm. and create things, parties, mm -hmm. presentations, exhibitions, talks, and what have you. And they might be loosely themed around those themes. Okay. Or they might be themed around, you know, a part of practice. So mm -hmm. I'm interested in an animation one mm -hmm. um, that might be in November. Um, will that will it will it be about animation or will it be about food and animation? I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it will depend on speaking to potential collaborators, who's available, who's interested, who's got something to say, and so these things will begin to emerge. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is that we'd have 10 days in November where there'll be lots of things for the public to come to. Mm. On a day-to-day -day basis in the two months or eight weeks or whatever that is in between, we will be living a day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. the people that are there. And so we'd have some day-to-day -day things. So Vez, who used to run the venue, is now trained as a yoga teacher. So we might try an eight-week block of mm -hmm. yoga. Yeah that anyone in the building and the community can come to and we'll just test it out to see if that works. Mm -hmm. Is it something people want? Is it something people, you know, can Vez sustain herself to some degree in, as a teacher in that? Yeah. All questions we don't know. Yeah. But we've got an eight week chance to try it. And if it sticks, it sticks. Yeah. And it might run for several years or it yeah. might stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got these blocks with these end points. Okay. Um, so, you know, we could do some cookery classes, you mm. know, and it could be like every Tuesday is a yoga class. Mm -hmm. Every Tuesday evening is a cookery class. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. But it's that kind of thing. You know, we could look at music and you might say, well, I'm interested in developing this part of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Could we get someone in mm -hmm. to deliver some Ableton yeah. basics? Or mm -hmm. just an artist that you're really interested in who you know, is queer, maybe has something to say about this stuff, maybe is interested in utopias, ways of living, fantasy ideas, whatever it might be. You know, do we invite them to come and stay for two weeks while they write yeah. a track that yeah. we then, with yeah. the community or on their own, it doesn't matter, and they perform it in the 10-day thing? Just to um, dial back, because I yeah. don't think this is something that we covered in this talk up to now, mm. is a kind of community aspect where yeah. this will also be a space that is at times open to the public. Yep. Yeah. Right, so there is a kind of, for want of a better word, for want of a better term, community service. Yeah, yeah. Aspect to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I say, it's on a day-to-day -day basis, like finding out what's useful for the community. Is it yoga? Is it cookery? Is it something else? Mm. You know, is it hearing from artists, giving work in progress, or this is who I am? Is it be, film screenings? What is it? Yeah, and just to be very clear for the listeners about that, mm. when we say community, does that? Is that the community of people who work and live at Islington Mill, or is that open to a broader community? We'd want it to be open to a broader community. Sure. Um, but there might be instances, like if someone's exploring intimacy mm -hmm. yeah. in, in a particular yeah. way, you might want something that's more closed. Sure. Um, you know, it might be to do someone's practice that they have specific collaborators. You know, mm. they come here and they're looking for a textile person or a music person that can produce a track for their animation. Mm. So that might be a direct conversation with you. Mm. But within that, you might choose to show some films that have amazing soundtracks. Mm -hmm. And then mm. those, that film screening night could be open to anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of your practice mm -hmm. for you and the collaborator to explore those soundtracks, which is why you've created those particular yeah. films. But it's likely to be of interest to other people just because it's an interesting film. Yeah, cool. Okay. 
Mm. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe only two people turn up. Yeah, it's yeah. still useful for you. Yeah. And those two people have still come into an environment and, ex- and met you, mm-hmm. seen some interesting films, mm-hmm. hung out in the space, begin mm-hmm. to feel familiar, hopefully get a sense that they belong. Yeah. Hmm, that seems... Like, when we were first discussing it just there, hmm. it seemed very theoretical, obviously because I was asking you to describe the theories of it. Hmm. But also, it's got a very practical edge as yeah. well, a very practical aspect to it. That's really cool. Um, this is really good for me because this is actually clarifying for me as well, because obviously, for the listeners, we know each other and we see hmm. each other in the middle, we talk about this stuff anyway. Hmm. But actually, to have it laid out like this, it's like, I can really, yeah, I can really see it. It's got theoretical aspect but also very practical practicable aspect as well of things that can be set into motion and be done which is great because up to this point I was only really aware of the more theoretical side of it Mm. and that was something that I wanted to ask you about is the more practicable side of it but um, yeah that that sounds really good and definitely having the community aspect to it having to have it you know it has to be available at certain points for people who've maybe never been here before to yeah. come and discover it as well and you know this is how we did the venue mm. you know people would come along saying oh i went to a gig here last night i really liked it could i put on a gig mm. and you say yes yeah and then from that you learn what yeah. they're interested in and then you find that actually we're interested in that too so should we jointly invite Christine or whoever mm. and do we make it work mm-hmm. that's the start of collaboration when you understand who are the people involved how it works and what the space is like so it's, again it's modelling it Yeah, because <clears throat> it's not that we would never do this but um, an open call for example just like any kind of job interview people have to put themselves forward in a certain kind of way mm. and yes there is some elements of like you know um you know, blind assessing to some yeah. degree, all of that understood. But at the same time, you're not getting to know the person, you're not getting to know the practice. And I always find in those processes, it's like, do we have what that person wants? Mm-hmm. And are they asking for what they really want? Or mm-hmm. are they asking what they think we yeah. want to hear in order to get the, the job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've tended to be a bit more organic than that. But that means we then have to work really hard on, well, how do people access the space? Yes. So that's where kind of, um, you know, meaning that potluck dinner, as I described, you know, if people have got anxiety about coming to something like that, then let's tweak it or change it or find mm. another access point for people that aren't interested in that. Mm. But give them those opportunities to have those one-on-one conversations. And, mm. you know, myself and Maury have always been that because we've been living it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people will be living there. Mm. So the aim is that of the eight bedrooms that we'll have, perhaps three, four or five people will be based there Mm -hmm. and that they will kind of know what's possible Mm. you know where things are (laughs) Mm. how to go about things and that they'll be you know what as a host or we start to call it steward Mm -hmm. meaning like holding the space Mm. you know myself and Mori always made it part of our life to go and stand in the courtyard and speak to people yeah and out of that find out what people are doing and then people would say oh you're the person that can make things happen it's like well yeah So let's make something happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's passing that on, you know, empowering other people that live there mm. to hold those resources so that everything's not through the team. Yeah. They're a great team, but, you know, allow the team to manage the building, keep it safe, keep it functioning, 
but creatively mm-hmm. and from a programming point of view we act as artists and that we're artist led and that the resources like where's the projector I want a projector film mm-hmm. that someone knows where that is and can plug it in mm-hmm. so, and that they're empowered to say yeah I can do that for you and yeah show your film we can do it next Thursday cool and constantly exploring because we won't get it right yeah um, and also community we are a community interest company mm-hmm. but that's got a community of interest in it, which isn't everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we want to broaden it. Yes, we want to diversify it. Yes, we want to get as more people and new generations and more different types of people bringing different perspectives in. And that's why having a venue is really important because we'd have artists from the States or from Japan or from wherever come and they bring mm-hmm. ways of being and doing yeah. with them. And we want to bring that back. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, creating those access points that people can engage with in different ways becomes mm-hmm. really important but we know that it won't suit everybody all the time okay but you know we're an artist studio building we're a queer-led space mm-hmm. so let's start there mm-hmm. and use what we learn to diversify from that so how did you arrive at the five elements then um kind of quite a long process of just beginning to explore different communities and how people hold different spaces yeah um in 2015 i was able to go on the claw leadership program which has a two-week residential at the start and end mm-hmm. and so we sat in a lot of circle things with a million post-it notes mm. <laughs> i'd never been in a facilitated space before that yeah i'd never been on a two-week residential where you focus on something before i just never had the opportunity i didn't know they existed and i went on a lot of them during that year um, so I began to think, well, what else is going on that's queer um, that I can learn from mm-hmm. and develop? And originally I found the Edward Carpenter community mm-hmm. uh, that hold like seven day residentials in the lakes and it's a bit outdoorsy and what have you. And um, I was just intrigued how like 40 people can just turn up in a place and co-create what yeah. happens over seven days where people can propose whatever they want to offer mm. and people pick it up or don't. Um, and I was intrigued because that had been going for 30 years. Mm. It's like, well, they've been doing this for 30 years. And to some degree, kind of seeing what they weren't doing as well. Yeah. But also hearing about other things. So I heard about the radical fairies. Well, I'd heard about the radical fairies, but I met people that went to fairies. So I yeah. could begin to say, they'd say it's a bit like this, but it's different in these ways more queer less kind of gay men yeah um again going for a long time so it's like well what what how how have they sustained this and like the fairies have a much more like kind of non-hierarchical on a you know anarchic radical approach to how they organize yet they manage to kind of hold events mm. with 80 people in a really queer and, and you know a, a, attempting at inclusive and openness to whatever people bring so what are the things that they're doing? I went to ayahuasca retreats, you know, things that are on the edges and the margins of your day-to-day life and just seeing, you know, what do they bring in order to make it safe? How do they, you know, allow people to go into delicate situations like that and be themselves? What are the foundational things? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where these kind of ideas started to emerge because 
you know, again, it was me seeking out, well, where is queer utopia? And, you know, for some people, we go to fairies and there's often a conversation, we want to live like this all the time because I feel so free, I can be myself. And I'm with other people that want vaguely similar things and we make it happen, we all cook together. You know, things happen. How can that be more present in our day-to-day lives? And then here I am in a community where we have a building, mm. <laughs> we have a place and we have a community, but maybe it's quite fragmented because people are just in their studios behind their doors and mm. maybe some people come to potluck, but not everybody. So what can I bring from that that might start to make things feel more inclusive, safer, diverse, whatever? And that's when things you know, began to look at some of these foundational elements and not just choose them like, you know, okay, so let's do more potluck dinners, but like I say, interrogate it, critique it, yeah, explore it, listen to people, be prepared to kind of challenge it and change it, mm-hmm. but address it rather than leave it. Because in my practice, when I come to the meal, I often forget about food straight away because mm. <laughs> I'm having a million conversations yeah. and all the nice stuff. Yeah. And something like food goes right out the window. Yeah. And then after three days, I'm knackered, starving. And It's a workspace as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's going to be a live space. Yeah. So, you know, I can't operate and be here safely for my recovery mm-hmm. and can't be here safely for all those other well-being things if I overwork and don't yeah. eat so if I want to be part of this community like I always wanted to be mm-hmm. I need to start addressing these things for me and mm-hmm. I don't think I've got the right way which is mm-hmm. back to utopia is what works for me might not work for you mm-hmm. and that's when we come to this conversation mm. that's interesting as well because Again, it ties back into what I was saying earlier about the work-life balance of being an artist, especially a self-trained artist, Mm. where it's this kind of imagined... And sometimes this is the reality, where you're just hit with inspiration and you just want to do it until it's finished right then to get it done. And things like rest and food go out the window Mm. because you're dedicated to your artistic practice. Mm. And it is very important to find that balance. Like, I've had many times here where I've like been working for hours and I'm just like suddenly at the end I'm like oh my god I'm so hungry Mm. like I haven't eaten properly in like 10 hours and stuff so it is good to yeah address those kind of slightly more mundane things Mm. that never really come up when people think about or imagine the life of an artist Mm. Um, but you mentioned before about the radical fairies yeah so the Radical Fairies recently have had a residency here at the mill. Yep. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, that came out of me being... Uh, I went to my first gathering in 2019 at Featherstone Castle mm-hmm. uh, near Hadrian's Wall. Then we hit COVID and I went to a lot of things online, mm. which was really nice, actually, because it meant I didn't have to kind of go through all the anxieties of packing a bag and getting yeah. there and meeting a million people. You could just zoom in. Mm. And so that was really nice to just get to know faces a bit more and, you know, understand a bit of fairy culture from afar. Mm. Um, and then spent last year, I went to three different gatherings and that was a little bit more proactive. Like I'm there because it's nourishing and it's exciting and it feels like a community and a a queer mm. space mm. oh yeah and I'm researching and they're researching too they're mm. always you know exploring how we can do this better mm. because someone else different does it every time mm. so that process of kind of you know putting some basics in place like someone's got all the pans and the lentils somewhere we need to get them to wherever they're going to be but then when you're on the gathering 
people that want to cook will cook for the whole thing and it's decided on an almost daily basis and those of us like me who aren't confident in cooking will do the washing up or yeah you know clear out the compost loops mm. <laughs> or whatever else or perhaps nothing because we are actually there for a, just a nourishing chill yeah but out of the 30 to 80 people you know you make those mundane things happen and that's why this feature space could be not just artists because someone might come on a cooking residency oh okay and yeah. all they're going to do for two weeks is cook for the community yeah and that means that when you're working late while they're there you might go oh i like what they do i'll go up and yeah. you know see what they've put on today <laughs> yeah yeah and that might stop when they go yeah or someone might go oh that was a great idea i'll have a go at doing that mm -hmm. and it carries on mm. um and then wouldn't that be great <laughs> mm. <laughs> great for them to experiment learn grow mm -hmm. great for us as a community to have that mm -hmm. um and when they stop doing it you know that's always been the life of the mill we had a great garden mm. when david lived here yeah and made a garden and then it was taken over by others and now we're a building site so it's totally deconstructed but it's mm -hmm. always that like try it mm -hmm. see it work to people's passions mm -hmm. allow people to do what they love and are comfortable with that ikai guy mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe the money bit can often be missing because we're in an artist-led culture but mm. uh, a diy culture but you know when we're trying to do you know as you say in practice we're everything mm. you know with a producer with a writer with a marketeer with a you know, and Islington Mill as an organisation is like that. We have very few people to do those things. So, you know, how can we achieve some of those things, but kind of, you know, working with people's passions, but not in an exploitative way where mm -hmm. they're kind of learning and growing on their own terms and it's their choice, mm. not like you're coming here to cook for us. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, if you want to learn something, come and, or if you want to try out running a cookery course, because you think that might be part of your income and you might take that elsewhere and mm -hmm. richer mm. people might pay more for it and you want mm. a test bed where you can make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And get it wrong, but come and try it. Yeah. It's the kind of vibe we'd be going mm. for. So after a year, okay, we will have tried some of these things. Yes. And we might have some things that have stuck. Yeah. And we might not. And yeah. alongside all of that, yeah. we'll be doing our practice. So we might start animations and virtual realities and yeah. little projects that different people propose and get involved in and then present all of that as an open house in July the following year. Okay. So presumably at the end of the 12-month period when you get the keys and you can start this process hmm. at the end of the 12 months after that there'll be a kind of um oh what's the word i'm sure there's an accounting term for this but where you take stock of everything that's happened and you analyze it and go right the yeah. last 12 months have been what have we learned yeah i mean take stock and analyze in a very informal way yeah but yeah we'll um we're working with mif Mm -hmm. It's it's not a commission, but we've we're talking about doing an open house during the international festival in July twenty twenty three. So that okay. nicely bookends yes uh, a year. It will it might be an amazing exhibition with virtual reality and all kinds of crazy shit going mm. on with millions of contributors, or it might just be here's how we live, mm. and that's why modeling queer utopia could be a specifically curated experience, performance, exhibition, film. Mm. <laughs> or it could just be come and hang out and have a cup of tea mm. in our little uh, you know wherever we've got to yeah and hopefully it's transformed like literally from a white box that we get the keys for into something more yeah colorful and vibrant and stimulating yeah. and interesting and 
educational and hopefully we've got some of these patterns of mm-hmm. so you come in and say yeah we do yoga every tuesday mm-hmm. come along cool or you could also start a new clothing line called queer utopias yes and you could just get people to come and model it absolutely walking up and down a catwalk exactly so we could definitely <laughs> do like you know an eight week yeah thing on identity yeah with just us yeah or us in the mill community or the, us and the kids outside you know it, mm. it can be as contained or as broad as we feel inclined yeah and it might start as just us and next year it becomes a line and mm-hmm. or you know it's just about allowing things to grow and gestate and be tested experimented mm. with fail yeah and then see if we feel inclined to do it again or not yes maybe what we could also do is record another podcast mm-hmm. and see what Where we we're learned at. yeah yeah we could do one at each design sprint that's true actually i mean mm. i do want this podcast to be something that serves the community as well as just being interesting chats mm. and i think one of the importance of doing this and getting you to talk about this today is to have a document of it yeah. so that people can go and reference that yeah. and know what is going on um and yeah and i think that was an important function of having a podcast that is based in islington mill it's being able to impart to the residents and also just the people who are interested, the general artistic community, people who know about Islington Mill, people who have been here before but haven't been in a while because it's not a venue at the moment, yep. etc. Just a resource where they can come and hear about what's actually happening. Yeah, and it's like, you know, yeah, a lot of that stuff, what's happening will appear on our website and stuff mm. like that. But people might be going, but where's the open call? How do I get involved? So what's the access point? And maybe mm. they listen to this podcast and go, oh, that's how it works. I mm-hmm. turn up to yoga and get to have a chat with somebody and yeah. then I just see how it pans out. Yeah. And, you know, other ways we might do it more formally because we might put a call out. We're looking for a queer animator slash cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> slash model. <laughs> slash model. 